Amen. A breach of faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I gotta tell y'all, I'm not moving, I'm not, I'm not moving on necessarily because I want to, but whatever, whatever is wrong on today, amen. We need to get that thing right. Amen. A breach of faith. And so as I as I prepared this word um this week, and, and it may sound like I'm continuing to say the same thing every Sunday about the book of Leviticus. Um, but I know that it is for me because God is trying to strengthen my worship practices. Amen. And what I have learned as a pastor, you it's, it's hard for you to preach or teach something to other people that you are not willing to do yourself. So Pastor Carter used to say when you preach something, it's, it's to you first, and if you have not lived through it, then shortly after you preach it, you will. Amen. And so I know that God continues to have me in this book, and it's, there's a lot of things that I could, quote, unquote, preach easier than what I have been preaching. But this book is causing me to study, and it's causing me to dig in a way that I have not done in a long time. But when I started it, God was was telling me, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, Build your worship talking to me. And so as I've been walking through these chapters, I hope that it has been it's been good to you. Um, but the main thought from all of these chapters is, is similar to what the title was last, last Sunday was, which was what the Sunday before last, which was Jesus is the prescription. So with all of these things that I have been preaching, they are all rolled up in the person of Jesus. And so this Sunday, as I, as I talk about Leviticus 5 and 6 and the subject of breach of faith, I want you to consider, I want you to think about what the word breach means. It's a gap. It's an opening. It's when something was holding and it is, it is broken, right? A gap occurs, a breach occurs, an opening occurs, something is broken, right? And so the only way that you can fix a, a breach is to repair it. Right? Think about if you if you got a a, a, a a breach in anything, the only way that you can put it back together is to repair it. And so like I say, everything that I'm, I've been preaching and what I'm getting ready to preach today is about Jesus repairing the breach, Jesus repairing the gap between us in the Father. So breaches of faith occur whenever you use God for self-serving or ulterior purposes. When you sin against the holy things of God, when you use his name in vain. I think that's the easiest way to get everybody to understand what I'm talking about. When you use his name or you use his things in vain. Right? You, you, you try to use God to win an argument instead of win a soul. That makes sense. You try to use God to get your point across or you say, God told me to do this, but really you're doing what you want to do. 
right? Or as a pastor, if I was to use the church to get rich or use the congregation to get what I want, right? Or use the church to build a name for myself and not for God. A breach in faith has occurred because your faith is supposed to make you want to worship. Right? Any other kind of faith is in another God. Right? So when we get to Leviticus chapter 5, so I'm not going to read it, but I, I want you to know what I'm working with. I'm, I'm working with Leviticus 5, verse 14 through Leviticus 6, verse 7. Right? And these verses address the various offerings and procedures related to unintentional sins. We talked about that last time. Right? And trespasses against God. But this time I'm going to add another piece. God is adding another piece when we sin against others. Right? When we sin against others. So when we were in chapter 4, we were talking about unintentional sins. Right? If someone unintentionally violates a certain aspect of the law, they must bring a certain offering. Usually a female lamb or a goat. And they ought to make atonement. This symbolizes that we need to be reconciled with God, right? Jesus is the prescription. Even when it's unintentional, even when it's in word, when it's in action, when it's in thought, right? Even when it's unintentional, Jesus is the prescription. We need to be reconciled to God. Lord, I thank you. But when we get to Leviticus chapter 6, it starts to deal with when the unintentional sin is not at God per se, but it's to, uh, uh, it's to other people, right? When someone commits a trespass against the Lord by deceiving their neighbor or failing to return something that was entrusted to them, they have to make restitution. They have to pay it back. They have to restore it. And not only do they have to pay it back, but they have to add an additional fifth to whatever it is that was lost. This symbolizes the need to make amends and for seeking forgiveness for the wrongs committed against others and God. So let me tie this all together. Remember when I just said a breach of faith is whenever you do something in the name of God for self-serving purposes, right? Whether it's intentional or unintentional, if you are a Christian, if you are a representative, if you say you're saved and you hurt somebody, you have to go and repair that thing. You have to repair it for yourself and because you're a representative of God, you have to repair it because they are looking at you as carrying God's name. So you're making God being ill spoke of if you don't repair it. That's what this offering is for. I hope that's connected in your. I hope that's connected in your brain. So, in all of these things, in all of these things, I want y'all to see how all of these chapters are building on each other, and then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna go to the New Testament, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to put a bow on all of this. So, Leviticus is teaching us how to worship. We started with Leviticus one. We started with the burnt offering. The burnt offering, right? Y'all remember that up and smoke, the burnt offering that the Lord moved in the house that Sunday. The burnt offering. It symbolizes complete dedication and surrender to God. Right? That's it. Voluntarily. 
spontaneously, that burnt offering, right? Remember, Lord, take me. I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice to you. This is how, right? That burnt offering is when you, when you, you all deep in your sins and you want to get out and you want to get right. You just saying, God, take me. I don't know what else to do. I just need you to take me. That's Leviticus 1. The burning of that entire animal represents the worshiper's commitment to God's will. Lord, consume me, take me. Right? Leviticus 2 was the grain offer, right? So once you say, God, take me, there is a level of thankfulness that should come into your life. That's Leviticus 2, the grain offering. That, that sermon was not sugar-coated, right? So you presented yourself to the Lord, and then God, basically, God is like, okay, you presented yourself to me. I'm going to work on you. And the first thing that should show up in your life when God saves you is thankfulness. You still don't know what to do. You still ain't all the way clean. You still don't know all the rules. You still don't know what to do. But there should be a level of thankfulness like, whew, at least I'm saved. I don't know what to do. I still ain't all the way right yet, but at least I'm saved. So that's the grain offering. And remember when you offer that one, it can't be no pride. It can't be no pride in it. Can't be no sweetness in it. You can't be trying to fake God out like, okay, you say me, but I still want to do what I want to do, right? You can't be that, right? Because you're supposed to be thankful that he took you from what you just came out of. That's the grain offer. It symbolizes gratitude and acknowledgement of God's provision. It represents the work of human hand. It's the dedication of one's labor to God, right? I don't know nothing else, but I do know that you saved me. So today, Lord, I'm thankful for being alive, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to do the best that I can. Right? God is taking you through the Christian walk, right? You get saved. You don't, you, you're still a baby in Christ. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to, today, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to try to make this the best day that I can. That's the grain offering, right? So then once you do that, and God say, okay, okay, they got saved, right? They, they're thankful for what I've done. We went to the peace offering. We went to communion for real, right? Leviticus 3. It symbolizes fellowship and thanksgiving. So now that you God, God's like, okay, they trying. They ain't all the way right, but they trying. I can work with that. I see where that hard, I see where that hard is for real. Not that the Lord know my heart stuff, but I for real, for real, I see where their heart is. I can work with that. They like they accepted the invitation to be saved. They're thankful. And each and every day when they wake up, they're trying their best. I can I can work with that. I can I can feel it. That, that, that's the type of person that I want to fellowship with. That's the type of person that I want to be in community with. They not they not they acting all puffed up and prideful. They're not trying to fake me out I mean, with sugar-coated worship. Like, I, can, I can work with that. I can Let me commune with them. Notice God has not really required anything of them, anything of us at this point. He ain't really told us to like, all, like, all we had to do was, which is what, what the word says, believe. We believe on the Lord Jesus. Nothing else is required except that we be sincere and real. He hasn't required anything, yet he's still willing to fellowship with us in this third chapter. 
It symbolizes fellowship and thanksgiving. It symbolizes peace and harmony between God and the worshiper, as well as communal unity through a shared meal, right? Because remember, the other two, he went all to the priest. But this one, he like, I'm going to break bread with you. Communion for real. I'm going to sit with you. And so then you can imagine, okay, once you start sitting with Jesus for long enough, the conversation started to change. The requirements become a little bit like God, like, okay, now, I saved you. You going through your day-to-day journey, everything is good. You trying your best, right? I, 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 I'm like, I, I didn't just leave you out there. I came, in, I came in your house, and I'm like, I'm here. Let's do this. I want to live with you. I want to be married to you. Communion for real. Let's break bread. Let's talk. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm right here. But then the conversations start to change. And God say, all right, we've been doing this. It's just like when you're in a relationship. If the relationship ain't going nowhere, then what you doing? Why are you wasting time? If you don't want to be committed, what you what you doing? Right? So Jesus is like, I'm here and I want to be with you, but I need this relationship to mature. We can't, we can't, like, we pass. You know what you want to be when you grow up. We pass like, you know, tell me about your mom. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your job. What you like to do. We pass going to the movies. We pass going out to eat, right? We trying to like, we can't just keep going out to eat for five years. And that's the substance of our relationship. What we doing? What kind of life are we trying to be? Where, Where we going? So when we get to the fourth off, the, the, the fourth chapter, right, and we get to Jesus is the prescription, you know, when you're around a person long enough, to like, so you invite a person over, you, you, y'all done had company at your house, you clean up. You, you burn the camp, you got it smelling good, you watched up down for that moment in time, for that evening, the house was like tight. But, you know, as time go on and you, you know, your house don't always look like that. Right? So now that Jesus is living with you and you can't keep up the appearances of everything is good and everything is clean and everything is wiped down, Jesus is starting to notice some of them habits that you got. That you leaving the dirty dishes in the sink. The, the yard not cut. It's like, like this, some of the stuff need to be fixed. And so that's why Jesus is the prescription. When we get to Leviticus 4, for the first time in this book, Jesus starts to address real sin and purification. And that sin offering symbolizes atonement and cleansing from unintentional sins or impurities. It shows how serious sin is in the need for reconciliation, right? And so by the time we get to Leviticus 5, 14, and those other verses that I named in the sixth chapter, Jesus is saying, okay, right? You understand now, I'm starting to point out things in your life that needs fixing. And I'm starting to show you some of the issues that you got, right? But then Jesus turns up the heat a little bit more. He says, now that I have shown you these things and now that I have, you know, forgiven you for your sins and you starting to understand that I have forgiven you for your sins, 
the job is still not done because now that you know better, you got to go back and make right some of the things that was wrong before you got saved. I need you to go back and I need you to start repairing some breaches. Because before you got saved, you didn't have a good relationship with your mom. Right? I accepted you. You thankful I came to live with you. I'm pointing out things. And yes, I have forgiven you for your sins and I've forgotten some of the things that you've done. But now you got to go back and make it right with the people that you hurt on top of that. It's just not enough for, the, for me to forgive you. So when, when we say we saved, saved for what? Saved for what? You are saved to do something. And that's why the word says that faith of thy works is dead. You've demonstrated your faith that you believe, but what does that look like? That's when you start repair breaches in your life. And so this is called the guilt offering. What I'm, what I'm talking about in the fifth and the sixth chapter is the guilt offering. In the fourth chapter, it was the purification offering. God starts to clean you up. This one is the guilt offering. And you know what I'm saying? If I'm clean, why do I still feel guilty? When God starts to clean you up, that's when you start to realize how dirty you were. And that guilt should move you to do something. It should move you to action. It should move you to say, I'm sorry. And you got to understand that when you start to do that, people going to think you crazy. They're not going to understand why you're doing it. I remember when I first got saved and I was, I was dating and engaged to Pastor T. The Lord had put on my heart to go and to apologize to one of my old girlfriends for how I treated her because of the relationship they end on good terms. And so I went to say, you know, the Lord led me to apologize to you and ask you for forgiveness. She didn't understand. She thought I was trying to get back with her. I'm like, no, I'm not apologizing to get back with you. I've moved on, but I needed to apologize so I would not feel the weight and the guilt of how I treated you. You have to be able to go back and say, I'm sorry. Like Jesus wants to restore all the breaches that occurred. So this guilt offering symbolizes restitution and restoration. So in this church, we've done a lot of work on restoration. We've done a lot of work on restoration. So that word restoration tells you what you do with the breach, right? It's a breach, it's a rip, it's a gap, it's an opening, right? So when it's an opening, when it's a rift in your family, a rift in your relationship, a rift in your heart, Jesus is like, I want to restore it. I want to repair it. I want to put it back together, right? The whole potter and the clay analogy. He's patching up stuff. He's fixing up stuff, right? We spend a lot of time on the restoration, but not a lot of time on the restitution. So if you notice in Leviticus, I said with this particular offering, they had to offer the same thing, the lamb, the bull, the sheep, the goat, whatever it was, but they also had to pay an additional price on top of it. And that price was not set by the person. It was set by the priest. And as I was studying, the reason was because if it was not set by the priest, what you the extra price was, then people would think I could sin. And then, oh, OK, I can, I know, I'm just going to commit this sin and I know how much it costs. So I'm just going to pay it off. You, you start to think, OK, well, if I do this, then all I got to do is say I'm sorry and just pay this off. I can pay it off because I know how much it costs. But 
But the, the point of this, what, I, what I'm explaining to you is with this particular offer, when you make it right, you never know what the additional cost is going to be. That's set by God. You never know how far God is going to make you go to fix it. It might take five years to fix it, but that's the price. It might take months to fix it. It might take long suffering with a person to fix it, but that's the price. If God sets the price, that's the price you have to pay. There have been so many times where I've been walking with a person and I'd be like, God, okay, I've done what you asked me to do. At least in my mind, I've done what you asked me to do. I'm ready to stop. And God is like, did I tell you to stop? Just because you said I'm sorry or just because you said whatever you said, did I tell you to stop? Did I tell you to stop reaching out? Did I tell you to stop praying? Did I, stay, did I tell you to stop? You have to pay whatever the price is until God releases you from it. And then when he releases you from it, that's when the guilt goes away. That's why there's a guilt offering. But if you let that thing go before God releases you, you should still going to be something in the back of your head that make you feel guilty about how you behaved or how you acted or how you treated that person. There's still going to be a little doubt in your mind that I fixed that thing. I did wrong by that person. And, and the thing that I'm learning as I, as I preach through Leviticus is I want y'all to see, I want y'all to understand how rules-based all this is. Everything that I have been reading to you is this, the, all these rules, this rule, that rule, this rule, this rule, you got to do the, the animal this certain way, pour the blood this certain way. Think about if we had to follow those rules today. If we had to follow all of these rules today to get rid of our sin, to be made right with God, and we only in chapter 5, That's why Jesus is the prescription. Because he takes away all of these rules and just said, if you would just believe in me, I am every one of these offerings. I'm the burnt offering. I'm the grain offering. I'm the fellowship offering. I'm the guilt offering. I'm the purification offering. Everything you need to remedy your sin is in me. He said, I'm doing all, I'm doing all of this work for you. All I need you to do is believe on me. And so as I talk about, as I, as I get ready to close, I got a few verses and then I'm going to be coming in. Um, I'm going to be coming in, JJ. I'm going to take you all to Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. And I don't think that we understand how far the gap is between us and holiness, between us and God. I don't think we understand what Jesus does for us when, when I say he, when he, yeah. have you ever heard somebody say, I'm going to stand in the gap for you? Yeah. That gap is so huge. Right? What, what are you, so it's a gap, it's a breach, right? And you said, I'm going to stand in the middle of it for you. What's on the two opposite ends? What's on the two opposite ends is where that person is. And where God is. And you're saying, I'm going to be the bridge to get you from where you are to where God is. And that gap is so huge. That's why when you say that, you can't just say that randomly. Because whatever it is, this guy like they right here, 
And God is right there. And whatever it is that's stopping them from getting to God, you saying, I'm going to stand in the middle and I'm going to be the bridge. And bridges don't stand up straight. They don't go vertical. Bridges go horizontal. Bridges lay down. They, they lay down. You saying, I'm going to lay down. I'm going to be the bridge. I'm going to let you walk on my back. I'm going to let you walk. I'm going to stand here to help you get where you need to go. And we don't understand that that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us. He is the bridge between us and God. And that gap is so wide. So as I'm going through all of these chapters and I'm reading all of these things, I know it's hard for our mind to comprehend. But each chapter is written like that because God is trying to get you to understand how much sin he actually has to deal with in our life. Just to put us in right relationship with God. So Luke 16, starting with the 19th verse, and it reads, And there was once a rich man who dressed in the most expensive clothes and lived in great luxury every day. There was also a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who used to be brought to the rich man's door, hoping to eat the bits of food that fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to sit by Abraham at the Feast of Heaven. The rich man died and was buried in Hades. And where he was in great pain, looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. So this is Jesus talking. It's red letters. This is a parable. Right? So here's the rich man in the 24th verse. So he called out, Father Abraham, take pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and cool off my tongue because I am in great pain in this fire. This rich man wanted Lazarus to be the bridge between him and heaven. Right? He wanted Lazarus to be the bridge. After all of Lazarus' life, the rich man paid no attention to him. This is how we do Jesus. We go our whole life and don't pay no attention to him, but then we want Jesus to be the bridge. Lord, I thank you. 25th verse, but Abraham, and, and Jesus is using Abraham, why? Because he's talking to the Jewish people, right? He has not yet done what he did on the cross. He says, so let me talk to y'all in a way that y'all understand. Y'all say y'all the chosen people. Y'all say y'all God is the, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? All of that stuff. Y'all church, y'all religious, and you follow all the rules of Abraham. So let me put this parable in a way that you can understand. Let me talk about Abraham. Right? So in the 25th verse, it says, so Abraham said, remember, my son, that in your lifetime, you were given all the good things. While Lazarus was given all, got all the bad things. But now he is enjoying himself here while you are in pain. And I read this and I think I thought about some of us who are suffering right now and you trying to you trying to figure out why you and why you're going through bad things and all of these things. Right? And I, I read this to you. I hope that these verses that I'm reading is encouragement to you. Because there is going to come a day when there's no more weeping, no more crying, no more poverty, no more bills, no more hurt, no more abuse, 
No more when people are taking advantage of you. And that's what God, right, when, when Jesus did his work on the cross, yes, he came to give life and life more abundantly, right? Yes, there are going to be some, some joys like we talked about in Bible study. There are going to be some joys and there are going to be moments in our life that we can enjoy while we're down here. But ultimately, we are striving to be in that new heaven, that new earth, that new eternity with God. And so, yes, we're going through these momentary things in our life right now, but that's because of sin. But Jesus is going to come back and he's going to do away with all of that. So all you got to do, that's why the word said the race is not given to the strong or the swift. So, yes, sometimes you might get weak. Yeah, sometimes you might feel like I can't do this, but you ain't got to be strong all the time. You ain't got to be fast all the time. All you got to do is not give up. All you got to do is not give up. He said, remember, my son, that in your lifetime you were given all the good things while Lazarus got all the bad things. But now he is enjoying himself here while you are in pain. Then he says, besides all of that, there is a deep pit lying between us. As a breach. So that those who want to cross over from here to you cannot do so. Pastor ain't gonna baby come get you. If I go to heaven, I can't come, I can't come back and get you. If it, 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 to my children, if I go to heaven and you go to hell, I can't come back and get you. Papa can't do nothing then. I would have done all I can. That's why the word tells us to work while it's day, because there is going to come a time when no man shall work. I can't come and get you at that point. Jesus is saying, remember what you did while you was alive. Besides all of that, it's a deep pit between us. So that those who want to cross over from here to you cannot do so, nor can anyone cross over from us to where you are. The rich man said, then I beg you, Father Abraham, Send Lazarus to my father's house. Y'all notice what you say? Send Lazarus. He's still, even in hell, he's still treating Lazarus like he a slave. Lazarus in paradise. You want me to leave paradise? You want me to leave paradise? Come to hell and serve you. The crazy thing is, that is exactly what Jesus did for us. He left heaven. You can say the message you say something taking head in the earth. Show the way. That's exactly what he did. Left paradise to come down here and die for our sins. Lord, I thank you. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house while I have five brothers. Let him go and warn them so that at least they will not come to this place of pain. Abraham said, your brothers have Moses and the prophets to warn them. Your brothers should listen to what they say. This man going to say, this man going to say in the 30th verse that this is not enough, Father Abraham. But if someone was to rise from death and go to them, then they would turn from their sins. You lying because Jesus did it and some of us still won't believe. This Jesus telling his parable. That's what, make, that's what makes it so good. Because Jesus is saying, I'm going to do the very thing that you say you need and you still won't believe. I did this. I'm going to do this very thing. I'm going to die and raise from the dead, show myself to 
hundreds of witnesses, send the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. You're going to see moves of God and miracles through my servants, through my apostles. And you still not going to believe. Y'all, we got to understand how big the gap is between where we are and where he is. And the only way that we can get there is through Jesus. Jesus said in his 31st verse as he's finishing his parable and then I'm done, JJ. Jesus said in his 31st verse as he's finishing his parable, he says, but Abraham said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone was to rise from death. Amen. A breach of faith. Yes, Leviticus is a hard book, but this book is teaching us how to worship, how to be where Jesus is. In the first couple of chapters, Jesus is saying, I don't want anything from you but you. If you would just give me you, if you would just be thankful, I will come and I will commune with you. I will fellowship with you. I, my father, will come and abide with you. I will take up shop in your house. And as I leave with you, then I'll start to clean you. You ain't got to get clean first to come to me. You just have to be sincere. Amen. You just have to be sincere. And I will come and I will start to clean you up. But when I start to clean you up and I start to tell you to go and make wrong the things that were separating you from me in the first place, I need you to listen. Because I, Jesus is saying, I have stepped in the gap for you. I have laid down my life for you. I am the bridge between you and the Father. If you want to get to where he is, and you saying, because you got to think about what you say when you get saved. When you get saved, Lord, right? You're the head of my life. Think about what the word Lord means. You're giving him headship over you. You're saying, I would serve you. I would do what you tell me to do. Not only will I allow you to restore me, right? But I will make a restitution. So a part of making restitution is not only saying I'm sorry, but it's serving. It's serving the very people that hurt you in the first place. Ooh, that's a tough one, Pastor. It's forgiving that's making restitution. It's forgiving, it's serving the very people, right? It's, it's praying for those that despitefully use you, right? Why, why would I do that? Because when I do that, this is a guilt offering that I'm describing. All the guilt falls off you. Y'all know where it go? It go on their head. When you love people in spite of how they treat you, it goes on their on they head and then they got to deal with it. They got to wrestle with it. And the only way they can get the guilt off of them is to do everything I just explained. I don't care where you go. I don't care where you live. If you want to see Jesus, you got to be holy. I don't care what denomination it is. You got to live holy. There's no different rule book for other people. Not only does Jesus want to save us, he wants to use us. 
Saint for what? He wants to use you to repair all of these breaches in faith. He wants to use you to repair all of these people who are separated from God. Amen. We say we want to be like Jesus, but do you realize that all that Jesus did? What would Jesus do? That's tough.